Okay. <clears throat> Looks like we're recording. Let's see here. We got a little microphone button here down in chat. I'm not sure what that is. Just, all right, okay. Okay, all right. Let's see here. Group call, what does that mean? Enable, disable, call-in function. Oh, eat. Okay. So we're kind of at our, just on our test phase here. This is definitely not going to end up on the podcast. <clears throat> Have a little bit of a sore throat. Mm. <laughs> hey, would you look who it is? It's good old... Regan Murphy. Is it Regan or is it Reagan? I'm really not sure. Uh, let's see here. So, um, if you can hear me, Regan or Reagan, I want to see if you can call in. So, try to hit that button if you see that button. I mean, I see your face. You look, I mean, you look super, I mean, you look great. I mean, what else can I say? I mean, I could say totes adorbs. Okay, there we go. He's asked to join. Okay. And so try, um, can you chat what, before I bring you on, let's see if you can chat so that you can tell me what you want to talk about and just make something up. I just want to see if I can actually see a chat from you. I'm assuming you can hear me because you just hit the button. So, oh, there you go. Like the president. <clears throat> I don't, I don't understand what that means. All right. Richard is here too. This is, this is fun. All right. This, uh, no, hold on. Hit the button again, Reagan. Hit it again. Hit it again. I want to bring you in. I just, I just hadn't gotten to it yet. All right. There we go. Ah, look at this. This works. And let's see if this part works. How you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah. Or what right. do you, so, so we're doing, you know, this is, this is both a uh, feasibility and a quality test. So uh, talk to me about what you're on right now. What I'm mean, not like what drugs you're on, but what, <laughs> but what device uh, you're speaking on. I'm on a Nexus cell phone. <laughs> Okay, and you're just, but are you talking through the speakerphone or are you like holding it up to your ear? No, I'm talking through the speakerphone. Okay. It seems, I mean, it seems acceptable. How, how's my audio on your end? It sounds fine. Okay, good. Good. And I think this might actually work. So the interface on your end, because I, I haven't been able to see that, um, what is it What is it like? Does it seem pretty simple to use? Yeah, right now, um, I don't know if I need to back out, but right now it just looks like a phone call. Like it shows your a picture of you and it says I can hang up or whatever. Yeah. It's probably just while you're, while you're actually on the, on the I call. That's view, how it looks. I can view the chat at the same time. Okay. So you can see, you can see the chat right now. Yeah. All right. So it shows me when people join, this is actually pretty cool. This is free too, which is really weird. doesn't <laughs> seem like it should be free. Um, it's probably one of these things where they're going to get me locked in and then they're going to charge like a zillion dollars later. Yep. So, how's things going in your life? Have you uh, have you been uh, improperly designing any AC systems in your um, arid uh, climate that you think is humid? Yeah, lately? it's so dry here. <laughs> <laughs> practically putting in humidifiers all summer long. Yeah, I imagine. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I you know, the one thing that I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle with with this is that people. As people jump in, I'm going to have a hard time focusing on what it is that I'm that I'm talking about, and 
that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Um, so what I, so you were griping in the, um, in the group about me giving you short notice. So what am I interrupting right now? Uh, just working, just, just working, <laughs> just, just working and stuff. Time to do all the stuff that you do like, by, ne- by neglecting the things I should be doing. Duh. Y'all are a little bit bigger than me. So sometimes yeah. I end up being a parts runner and, uh, you know, whatever. Do you actually, do you work from home or do you have an office? No, we, uh, we have an office. Um, we, uh, we, we, I own the building. We, we use the first floor part of it and then we run out the second floor. Okay, cool. Very nice. How, how many, um, you're the owner, right? Yes. Okay. How many employees do you have? We have 15 right now. Okay, cool. It's a good size. And you do a lot of, uh, you do a lot of residential new installations then, right? Yeah, we do a lot of um, kind of high end. Um, well, I don't know. It's kind of weird saying dollar amounts when you're in different parts of the country, but um, you know, like five ten million dollar houses here, probably you know hundred million dollar houses in California. Right. We're uh, we just got our first uh, geothermal job, and it's going to be ten thousand square feet. So. It's, oh wow. Yeah, I'm not scared at all. <laughs> so, have you? Do you have geothermal experience, or are you just like jumping in with both feet? Like, I'm just going to make this thing. No, I mean, work. I've, I've gone to the training. I've got my HPA certification, and I've looked at a lot of them. But um, you know, it just—it's one of those things. that seems like it's really, really dependent on whether the tax credit is in effect or not. So, the demand kind of went away a couple of years ago. Then they reenacted it, and it came back and. Um, just kind of got mixed feelings on it, you know, because I'm when I start to look at it, I'm thinking how much money could they put towards solar panels and just completely offset their their uh, air source heat pump for the, the difference in price. Right. Yeah. Whenever you have government incentives that that play into the mix, it it does. I don't want to say it confuses things. I mean, I guess that depends on your uh, your political. Uh, perspective but it does it does add some uh add some complexity to the to the process of choosing a, a particular system or solution there's still quite a bit of um incentives on the solar side too right yeah um Mac, we're thinking about doing that at, at the office because this year is the last year that um with depreciation and all the extra things that you can get this is the, the last year that you'll have the most incentives unless they you know renew some some things like that but the difference between solar and and geo is the geo you can't claim the credit until the the things basically started up and solar you can you can claim it pretty much when it's delivered to the job site so if you got a big project that's going over the next two years or something like that it, it kind of impacts that decision right right indeed yeah i'm i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to definitely get used to this um because you do get people who are just like randomly um, jump into the live cast to ask about, are you free singles? Um, which is not, you know, I, I don't know what that means. Are you free singles? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't charge money. Uh, there's that. Okay. Um, no, boy. I think I'm going to, yeah, I think I'm going to run into a lot of this. Can you have a moderator on here? That's a good question, Chris. Let's see. 
I'm going to see if I can make Chris a moderator. Chris set as admin. Success. Oh, there we go. Um, so I was planning on talking about uh, moisture, uh, moisture problems and humidity, but you probably don't have uh, the time to sit here and talk about that for a little bit, do you? For a little while, maybe. For, everybody else. for for a little while, maybe. I, I like that level of commitment. <laughs> well, that's why it's um that's why it's ideal that you're here because you are you you are in a super humid climate apparently. Yeah. Um and so you know all about that. Um all right, so I'm just gonna start talking and I guess what you can do, so here's what we here's here's how I think we can work this. And I'm gonna have to come up with like a process for this, but but I think the way we can do it is you can literally just um drop off. Like if you're, if you don't, if you're like, all right, I'm, I'm tired of this. You can just hit that red button. And I think then you'll, you'll drop off. And then the rest of you who are listening, if you have something that you want to talk about or if you want to join, so if you want to join, um, hit the button to join in, but you need to tell me what you want to talk about, because I, I already am a little concerned about some of the things that are coming on here. It looks like it just may be random, um, people from the interwebs. So, um, so yeah, let me know what you let me know what you want to talk about um, before you hit the join button, and then anybody can ask questions in chat as well. All right, yeah, so here I'm we go. Drop, I'm going to drop out, Brian. Uh, okay. Phone's going to start ringing here in a minute, but uh, all right. Well, hey, nice talking to you, buddy. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. So this is a uh, first live uh, live podcast, and I and I think I might you know if it's worth anything, I may end up putting it on the in the feed later. Um, so I have some people asking some questions in chat. That's which that's a good way to interact live. And then also, if you want to call in, you got something you want to say, then you can hit the call in button. Um, but just tell me what you want to talk about. Um, anyway, so uh, I want to talk about moisture issues moisture problems um, because we're running into a lot of that right now in Central Florida. And the first thing with moisture is that it causes other problems. And so when you see what we would traditionally say, um, you know, mold, what we would traditionally call mold, um, it's it's a moisture problem. And the reason why we call it a moisture problem and not a mold problem is because we're most of us are not licensed mold remediators. And so when you're not a licensed mold remediator, um, you, you really are need to be careful about commenting about mold, um, especially in the state of Florida. They have a lot of rules about that. But we can comment um, about moisture problems and moisture problems occur under one primary circumstance. And that is where surfaces hit dew point of the air around them. And that's pretty critical because a lot of, a lot of texts, they, they tend to think of, um, you know, moisture problems happening where hot meets cold. And it really has nothing to do with where hot meets cold. It has everything to do with uh, the dew point of the air and then the surface temperature of whatever is condensating. And so, um, we ran into a situation the other day where we had a really high end house. Um, the customer likes to keep it really cold and they have high efficiency equipment that's working great. And so the relative humidity inside the space is 50% RH and they were driving it all the way down to 70 or 69 or 70 degrees inside. And for most of the country, that's not a problem. Um, in most of the country, uh, you know, you can do that just fine. But in Florida right now we have dew points that are at 80 degrees pretty consistently. We're hitting 80 plus degree dew points or high 70s. And, and the problem with that is when you drive the indoor temperature down well below that, then essentially everything starts to starts to sweat. And it starts with ductwork that's in unconditioned spaces and it starts with inside walls and, and, and everything else. And so you have all of these challenges because where we traditionally think, okay, 
you have these really cold surfaces, like maybe an air handler that tends to sweat or the surface of ducts, those tend to sweat. Sometimes you'll get condensation on windows in the mornings, those sorts of things. When you drive the entire house below the outdoor dew point, um, which never happens in some climates or very rarely happens. And in our climate, it happens all the time. You potentially can have moisture issues anywhere. You could have it anywhere that you have a surface that is below that outdoor dew point. And so insulation becomes really important. Yes. And or dehumidification becomes really important. Yes. But like in this house that we were, um, that I'm referring to, we had the indoor space perfectly well dehumidified. So we had 50% relative humidities, even at those really low temperatures, because we had, you know, really good equipment that's doing a great job and has a nice cold coil. So it's removing a lot of moisture. We had no moisture issues inside the house, but in the attic, unconditioned attic, all the ducts are sweating. Um, we have issues where there's actually condensation occurring on surfaces, um, like in the ceilings and other areas that aren't well insulated, um, on the attic side or on the structure side. And so we have all these moisture issues and they're not occurring inside. Like we would typically see with a sweating vent, something like that. They're all occurring on the structure side, on the unconditioned part of the, of the home. And so of course, from the customer's mindset, they're, they're thinking to themselves, well, you guys did something wrong. And what we have to explain to them is that, no, it's just, it's literally that you're just setting your air conditioner so cold. So they get, they get these really, you know, high efficiency, multi-stage pieces of equipment that can dehumidify under circumstances where older ones could not. So if you had a, you know, single stage piece of equipment in the past, the reason why you wouldn't want to, in, in our climate, you wouldn't want to oversize it is because then you couldn't maintain an indoor relative humidity. But with this infinity system, you can maintain the indoor relative humidity and get it really cold. But the problem still remains that when you get the air really cold inside, that also means that the air temperature inside your ducts is colder than, than it should be. And that results in moisture problems. And so, um, and so the, these moisture issues, basically what I'm wanting to get to here is these moisture issues happen because of dew point. And when you think of dew point, um, start with outdoor dew point. What is the dew point of the air outdoors? Because you're always going to be fighting that. If you have high outdoor dew points, it doesn't matter even if you control the dew point of the air inside, um, unless the entire structure is encapsulated and all of your attics and crawl spaces and everything are all conditioned, you're still going to bump into some of these problems, even if it's on the structure side, meaning in the walls and the roof decking, those sorts of things. You can still potentially have issues with moisture if that all isn't done perfectly. And as air conditioning contractors, you know, not all of that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is the HVAC equipment. But we more and more are having to become like building science experts, building performance experts in order to deal with all of these moisture problems. And so that that's the first thing. Always start with dew point. And then things like commercial kitchens, you know, Chris works in a lot of commercial kitchens. You run into issues in those, especially traditionally before they started um, doing these dedicated outdoor air systems where you're, you know, actually conditioning the outdoor air. Uh, again, depending on the environment that you're in, uh, where Chris is in, in California, probably not as much of an issue with moisture. But in Florida, we've always had problems in commercial kitchens where they weren't dehumidifying the outdoor air, the makeup air for the hoods. And you would have all kinds of condensation on the refrigerators and freezers and you know all the surfaces that hit dew point. And so at that point, you're analyzing what is the dew point inside. And so when you see those situations where you have a you know, a window that's, that's condensating on the inside, or you have a um, vent that's dripping. The first thing you want to analyze is what is the dew point of the air and then move to what is the surface temperature? Because often we think in terms of trying to warm up the surface and one of the, excuse me, 
and see, this is live, so that gets edited out later, but you get to hear me snorting in live video and live uh, podcasting. So a lot of technicians, one of the worst things that they do is they try to warm up the vent temperatures by increasing airflow in order to increase velocity over the evaporator coil, which increases the supplier temperature. But that's really a bad idea because in doing that, you also derate the dehumidification capacity of that evaporator coil. So when you increase airflow, you the result is that the air conditioning system doesn't remove as much moisture. Um, and so that is a problem um, because now, yes, you have warmed up the vent, but you simultaneously are going to end up increasing the dew point inside the space because you're not pulling as much moisture because pulling moisture has everything to do with how long the system's running and what the temperature of that coil is. Um, so Chris says, uh, we only get seasonal moisture issues here uh, in California from July to August. Uh, we get monsoonal moisture and get some high, high humidity. So the, a lot of rain. And so from that, you get some high humidity periodically in Florida, we run high dew points pretty much all spring and summer. Um, we, we get a, a respite in the fall and, and, and actually in the winter, it can be quite comfortable here. But again, it's still, if we get these cases where we have, um, especially tropical weather events, then it, it gets really, really bad. And we've seen this in the past with hurricanes because your load drops, um, but, but the other side of it is, is that now you have all this extra moisture in the air. And a lot of times you also get weird, um, different types of, of growth because you have all of this, uh, stuff coming in from the tropics and, and lots of issues like that. So yeah, Chris says high humidity is about 55%. Uh, yeah. So for them, high humidity is 55% for us. I was, I was looking at it in the evening and we actually had 90% relative humidity. And, th- and that's one thing that people sometimes miss is that peak dew point. And again, I always talk in terms of dew point now because I'm learning that who cares about relative humidity? That really doesn't matter. Dew point tells us how much total moisture content is in the air. And that's what matters when it comes to all these issues. I mean, it's literally the point at which dew happens. That means it's the point at which condensation happens. And so when your condensation point is 80 degrees, that means that any surface that's 80 degrees or below is going to start condensating. And that is ridiculously warm. And so, of course, all of your ducts, um, especially if there are six in unconditioned spaces, they're going to start sweating. There's no, there's no other solution there. I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's physics. And so we run into this and AC contractors get blamed, but it really is not our fault. Um, yes, there's some design things that could have been designed for, but we are also seeing increasing dew points. I know some of, you know, some people don't like to hear about global warming and all that, but let's just leave, put it this way. We are seeing an increase in dew points um, in some of these markets. And so when you have increasing dew points, uh, you're going to have stuff sweat that wasn't sweating before. So you're tied to weather you're tied to surface temperature and surface temperature is something we can control to an extent. But like uh, Jimmy Rain said here, increase airflow, increase moisture. And so um, it, it's indirect because when you increase airflow over the evaporator coil, what you're doing is that evaporator coil staying the same size. So you're increasing the velocity. When you increase the velocity of the air, that coil cannot remove as much moisture. And so you're not removing as much moisture from the space, which means that your relative humidity is going to creep up inside the space. And so therefore your dew point is going to creep up inside the space. Um, Reagan says, uh, usually the wood flooring guys blaming us. And I still don't know if it's Reagan or Regan. Show, show me the correct pronunciation there. Um, yeah, you get, yeah, you get these issues. Yeah. Cause wood flooring starts to buckle. And, and in a lot of these cases, internal surfaces, um, internal uh, finishes, I should say. Um, so it is like the president. All right. So it's Reagan Murphy. Um, 
internal finishes, you want to keep your humidity at a, in a, in a range, but you also need to keep it really stable because if you dry something out, you know, if you have pianos or you have, you know, nice wood finishes and all that, you dry something out, it's going to shrink back and crack. If you have more moisture then it's going to expand and buckle. So either way is not good. And we had, we had a house like this where we had all the, um, all the caulk joints were starting to crack and because of expansion and contraction. And so keeping it at a fixed uh, relative humidity and temperature is very helpful. But again, we speak in terms of relative humidity and temperature for human comfort, but in terms of things that make moisture, we should be thinking, we should be talking in terms of the dew point of the air and the surface temperature of whatever sweating. Those are the only two things that we can adjust. And so when we see things like sweating vents, really thinking about the equipment um, yeah, we have to check the equipment and make sure that it has appropriate airflow and that you're not running an abnormally cold airstream, something like that. Um, but just keep in mind that when you're running an abnormally cold airstream, you're also removing more moisture. So it's just, it's this trade-off. Really what we want to do is think about why is our dew point high inside the space in those cases. And it can do have to do with how the air conditioning is set up, but it can also do have to do with infiltration. So if more outdoor air is coming inside and the outdoor air dew point is high, then that's going to cause that problem. And so, you know, are they running their kitchen exhaust all the time? Do they have, you know, are they running bath fans 24 seven when they don't need to be a lot of this, you know, putting the home under negative pressure results in that. And then also leakiness of the home results in that as well. So those are some things to think about. Um, so in addition to that, I want to talk about, um, so any questions on this topic or anything that you want to add, go ahead and put it in chat. Or if you want to chime in, you can always um, hit the, hit the join button to talk to me live. Um, I'm going to talk about a few other things that relate to moisture. Um, the one thing I always want to know whenever there's a moisture problem is which side it's occurring on. You know, it's it's like um, a lot of homeowners have the sense that when they see, you know, maybe a little bit of growth on the outside of their supply plenum, for example, they think that that means that there is growth on the inside of their supply plenum. And that's actually very rarely the case, not to say that there can't be growth on the inside, but often that growth on the inside has more to do with improper filtration and, and those sorts of things, or maybe, or maybe water blow off of the coil. Um, generally speaking, you get the moisture on the outside of the duct because the dew point of the air around it is higher than the surface temperature. And generally in those cases, um, that surface temperature uh, is, is due to the f- that surface temperature is lower than it should be due to the fact of a poor connection. So, you know, where that duct comes down and attaches to the unit, it could have a poor connection or poor insulation or whatever. Um, Jimmy asked the question, um, what causes the increase of moisture in the home, cooking, house plants, home renovations, painting those. So those are what we would call internal gains. So increase in moisture inside the home due to internal factors. Like, you know, for example, I have 10 kids and so there's so many showers. We're using the dryer, we're using the washing machine, we're using the dishwasher, um, we're cooking food. Those are all huge internal moisture gains. And so I'm increasing the total moisture content, the dew point inside my house, just because of how we live. But for most people, you know, people don't really cook in their houses that much anymore. Usually you might, you might have two people on a 3,000 square foot house, you know, in a nice neighborhood. And so they're not generating that much internal moisture. So now it's more of a factor of external moisture. And so that has to do with infiltration. And whenever you put a house under negative pressure, which many homes are because of a combination of duct leakage and then also um, internal ventilation. So you're, you're pushing air out, but you're not bringing in air to make up for it. And so when you run a bath fan, for example, let's say it's a 100 CFM bath fan, that also means that 100 CFM is coming in from outside. And that outside air, depending on the dew point, that can drive up your relative humidity. Now, in some markets, it could drive it down. But in Florida, we're generally running higher dew points outside than we are inside. And so I mean, at least we hope so. <laughs> and, and so we need to um, we need to try to 
keep our homes under slightly positive pressure if possible. But the only way to do that is to bring in more air and then condition it. Um, and the only really good way of doing that in our market is through a dehumidifier, which nobody has. So those are, you know, those are separate, separate challenges. But, um, you know, leakiness of the home is also a factor. So a house that's just naturally leaky is also going to have more um, external moisture gains um, from that higher dew point outside. So those are those are your factors. So you want to think about internal and external. And very few of us really, really design for that latent load, for that moisture load. Now, you, when you're doing your manual J, it does give you, you know, it, it, it factors that in. But there's so many different factors there. Um, Doug says water vapor through foundations. And that that is a good one. And that's actually not one that I think about very much. So, yeah, Doug, if you have anything to add with that, you can you can uh, hop in on the call or or, uh, or kind of give you some points on that, because that's something that is is very true. You can get water vapor through foundations as well. Which, as a as an example, um, in Florida, we put down um, we put down vapor barriers. So we put down plastic um, underneath the slab and all of our all of our new homes. And that's a, that's a big reason for that. All right. So let's talk about some other things here. And again, anything related to this moisture uh, topic, you can chime in. And, and those of you, I know I'm, we're in the middle of a work day. So if you got to leave, that's totally fine. Um, Reagan, uh, Reagan says uh, we had a house with uh, humidity sensing bath fans that got them into a vicious cycle. Um, and so I think what he's saying there is, is that when you have a humidity sensing bath fan, the bath fan is running to try to drive down the humidity, but it's simultaneously causing a humidity problem. And that's something that uh, people don't, often don't get is that a bath fan does deal with really high humidity in a bathroom when you're taking a shower or a bath. And that's its purpose. It's a spot removal of that moisture and odors and anything else that goes along with that. Um, and so, but it, but simultaneously, it creates a bigger problem on the whole house because it's putting it under negative pressure. All right. Thanks for joining us, Doug. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good, good. How's life? All right. So you probably don't deal with much with the slab homes in Florida, but foundations have a massive amount of water vapors that come through the slab and through the walls of the concrete. Although we put water barrier up there for the bulk water, when you get a lot of water vapors come through, it's actually one of the reasons why basements tend to feel cooler to us because the evaporation is happening in the basement right so. yeah you have that you have that evaporative cooling in the spaces yeah that's really interesting we don't in florida we don't have any basements we do have slab, slab on grade um, but we put down vapor barriers and so you really only have that one surface you know you only have one plane in which to protect um and so i i don't it's an interesting thing because i don't know how well it actually does I've never seen data on that, but, um, but so you run into that a lot. What's the fix there? I mean, it seems like there wouldn't be any easy fix. Well, believe it or not, there's one uh, colleague of mine up in Appleton, Wisconsin, Joe Nagan, and he's been promoted pretty big in Wisconsin. But uh, what they found out in the radon industry with the radon ventilation systems, a power vent system, um, that is drawing all the moisture out of the, out of the ground, and therefore the basements tend to feel a little bit warmer to us because you don't have as much water vapors going through the concrete foundation. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's something I really don't know much about. But um, but when you so when you're doing say a manual J, um, do you actually have to design for that, or how you know how do you go through that process? I don't think manual J has anything to input for that figuring the foundation moisture. Uh, it's very tough. I did some research some time back, and it was uh, there are some white papers out there uh, regarding how much per square foot 
of water vapors come through the foundation. I don't recall off the top of my head what they were, but uh, when you add up the surface areas, at least where I'm at, the Chicago area, it, it was uh, you know quite a bit of water on average uh, to add to the load of the house, but we really don't look at it. Yeah, so in some cases it may be, you know, you get into the circumstance where you have a lot of moisture coming in and you probably just solve it with a dehumidifier and just trying to encapsulate it as best you can, I imagine. The radon system works very well. Uh, central dehumidification works well also. So. Cool. All right, well, yeah, thanks for that. I don't think about All right, take care. Yeah, thank you. Well, that worked kind of good. That was that was actually kind of cool. I like this. I like this. All right. So uh, yeah, so lots of lots of factors. Um, internal and external is a good way to kind of think about the the differences between the two. Um, and in that case, of course, it's external. It's coming in through the actual concrete itself. Um, but again, you know, thinking about thinking about which side it's occurring on. That's where I started with this. Um, that's a that's an important thing to to think about because if for example, a common one would be boot sweating in our market because we have a lot of these unconditioned attics and we have all these ducts running through it. And so the question is, is it happening on the underside, meaning it's a problem with the space, or is it happening on top and then it's soaking through the drywall? Because if it's happening on top, the only thing we can do is control the external temperature of the boot, the external temperature of the duct um, by maybe insulating it better or whatever the case may be there. Um, and then try to control the dew point in the attic because that's where it tends to get out of control. If it's happening on the underside where it's it's sweating around the edges, then a lot of cases that happens because you have um, air infiltrating into that space from the attic because there's a gap. And so sometimes you can seal that. Um, but sometimes it's literally just that the dew point inside the space is high because you've lost control of the humidity inside the space. And that's really the first place to start is, and, and that's kind of the most dangerous thing is, what is, are we controlling the dew point, the relative humidity in the space itself? And there is some stratification. So the, the dew point at the ceiling isn't always the same as the dew point as the dew point on the floor. And so you can't just walk into a room and say, oh, it's 50% relative humidity. My vent sweating. It's a problem with my air temperature. Go up to that area and see what the dew point is up there um, because you do get some stratification of dew point. And that's something that, that uh, I didn't realize until recently. I'm talking with or listening to Lou Harriman talk about that. So which side is it happening on? That's an important thing. And then another thing to factor in, and I think this is something we need to just do a better job of, is, is just insulating things better. So thinking about the R value of our ducts. I mean, so in Florida, we've been using R6 insulation on ducts forever, but we really need to start going to R8, which means that we're going to, you know, in duckboard. I know a lot of you hate duckboard, but a lot of that means two-inch duckboard. That means, um, you know, larger more more insulation on the flex for R8. So that's that's another solution to some of these problems is you're just going to uh, you're going to increase the external temperature of the duct just by giving it more insulation. Um, and the same thing is true of things like uh, refrigerant lines. So anybody who works in you know large refrigeration knows that you can't just use you know half inch wall uh, ins- Armaflex or, or uh, I always still call it I still call it Armaflex, but it's insulated or tubing insulation. I should say rubberized tubing insulation. Um, you can't always just use half inch wall, uh, certainly not three eighths wall. You're using one inch wall in a lot of cases, and that's because the uh, line itself is quite a bit lower temperature. So you say you're running an ice cream case, um, you could have a you know a very cold suction line, and so in those cases, 
Um, you want to use, you know, one inch wall insulation, something like that. And so insulation is a solution. But again, what you're doing with the insulation is critical. Um, I'll give an example here. I had a customer that we installed a system in and um, he was having an issue with relative humidity in his, in his master bedroom and then come to find out he had changed some settings on his thermostat. But that was kind of the solution later. But he called us up and he's like, I'm so frustrated with the system. It's not working. He's actually British. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving the wrong accent here. I'm not going to try a British accent on the podcast. He's, I'm so, I'm so frustrated with it. It's not working. I did everything I can do to reduce the relative humidity. It's like, oh, well, what did you do? Well, I just had my whole uh, master suite insulated with uh, another, an additional R30 in the attic. Well, in his mind, that helped with the space humidity. But the reality is, of course, that that actually hurts it. And the reason that it hurts it is because when you allow less sensible temperature, less sensible heat to make it into that space. So less, you know, basically you have a, a lower temperature differential between the space and the attic. Now what happens is you've decreased your load. And when you decrease your load in a space, you also decrease your runtime. And when you decrease your runtime, you decrease your dehumidification. So his space humidity actually went up after he insulated the attic in that case, because you didn't have the sensible load. In fact, in some cases, the easiest way to decrease relative humidity in a space is to like run a heater in it because you're adding this sensible load that isn't adding relative humidity. And this is where the tech saying, you know, you know, hot, hot, you know, moisture is where hot meets cold. It's not true at all. You can heat up a space and the relative humidity will actually drop in that space. If I took a space heater and ran it in my office right now, the relative humidity would drop because it's relative to temperature. Warmer air can hold more moisture. But in addition to that, it would also increase runtime. So the equipment would need to run more in order to keep the temperature down. And so that's essentially what he did is he reduced his load. And by reducing his load, he decreased his runtime and caused a greater problem. And so I think sometimes when we hear these ideas like, well, the, the answer to sweating is insulation. Well, it depends on what you're talking about and where the sweating is happening. Yes, if you have copper lines or a drain line that's sweating, then you need to insulate them in order to prevent that a thermal exchange. And so now you're going to have a warmer surface temperature. So it will not be below dew point because moisture happens when surfaces go below dew point as far as surface moisture. Um, but adding insulation to an attic is not going to be a solution to space humidity problems. And I, again, these, all these concepts, I think sometimes get mixed up in our heads. And so we, we try to throw one solution at every problem. So insulating, insulating surfaces that are at a lower temperature is a solution in some cases, although I've had people who try to like spray foam an air handler to try to keep it from sweating. And that is not a, that is not a proper solution. Um, in those cases, often the, the best thing to do is to uh, you know, maybe use some dehumidification or something in, in that area and encapsulate the area in order to control the, the dew point around the air handler in order to prevent some of those problems. All right. So um, let's see what else. Uh, so, Another thing is uh, that that can cause moisture problems is obviously you have condensate drains, you know, so you have your typical, you know, condensate drain backups or not being run properly. That's sort of a different episode because, again, the, you know, the job of the evaporator coil is to get below dew point and remove as much moisture as possible in a humid climate. When you're trying to drop that indoor humidity and dew point, um, that's actually something that, that you that you want to have happen. So now it's just a matter of running that drain properly in order to uh, in order to get that moisture out of the space. And in a lot of cases, we we're kind of our own worst enemy. Like in Florida, we run these drain lines down underneath the slab and then they come up. And so we have these gigantic traps um, and then you know frogs die in them and all sorts of gross algae and stuff grows inside that drain because we have all of this standing water. And 
standing water is the source of a lot of these backups. And we also always run three quarter inch drains in cases where maybe we should run larger drains. And so there's all these, all these factors and we become our own worst enemies in these ways where we could just, you know, do, do it better. And then we wouldn't have these problems. Um, Quick question from Chris. Chris says, how difficult is it for you to maintain proper humidity control on commercial buildings that have fresh air requirements? And yeah, that is huge. And, and you know, prior to, you know, uh, ASHRAE 62.1, we, there, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a free for all, or I should say the enforcement of it, um, because we've seen a lot more enforcement of uh, 62.1 and 62.2 on the residential side. Um, but now we're really using on, on newer buildings, we're using, um, dedicated outdoor air systems where we're controlling the humidity. And so, you know, we use a lot of, um, a lot of captive air systems, uh, and, and with our customers. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're not doing that properly, cause you're bringing in outdoor air in order to act as makeup air in commercial buildings for your ventilation and also for, um, just for the occupants. So, you know, for example, if you have a kitchen in the space, you're going to be bringing in a lot of makeup air, not just because of the ventilation requirements, uh, but because you have to balance the the hood, um, the hoods that are used in the kitchen. And so that's kind of one side. But then the other side is we have to bring in so much air for the actual occupants. And yes, it does create significant moisture problems. And so we have to design for it. It's not something that you can just you know, it's not something you can just make some tweaks to the air conditioner to deal with. You're bringing in wicked amounts. I used a Boston term there. Wicked amounts of moisture when you bring in outdoor air directly. And so it's something you have to design for and compensate for, for sure. Um, yeah, so so drains are, you know, drains are issues, um, but it's more just a matter of, of doing that properly. And then the other one that we see quite often that it cause moisture problems is water blow off, condensate blow off associated with especially horizontal units being installed improperly. And this is something that we've done even at Kalos several times. And it just drives me up a wall because it's just the nature of installers, um, even really good ones, is that when they come again across something that they haven't seen before, they just try to kind of figure it out and make it work. But in a lot of these cases, when you're doing a horizontal install on a multi-poise um, air handler, for example, they can be installed in different configurations. You have to follow the manufacturer instructions. You know, they have special seals and you know little goosenecks that return the water and little trays and all this stuff that have to be done properly in these horizontal applications, especially when these things are being jammed in attics, which often they are. And this that's something that I wish I could just get away from installing um, installing air handlers in attics. It's just a terrible idea, especially you know, unconditioned attics. It's crazy because those things are going to sweat. They're just going to. They don't have enough insulation in them. So I don't love it. But again, when you're dealing with customers who have existing systems and they want to have them replaced, a lot of times we, you know, we, we just put it back where it is because that's what they that's what they want to do. Um, but when you do these horizontal applications, you just have to take so much care in reading the manufacturer specs and installing it properly. And sometimes you have to get uh, kits, special kits, in order to make reconfigurations to the drain pan or to the top of the coil. Sometimes you have to flip the coil around. And there's just these details that if you get any of them wrong, you're going to get water blow off, which was what I tell my tax. Actually, you know, my son is is working out in the field now, and he had an issue and a system he was doing a maintenance on. And he's like... I had one and it was leaking water all through it and all this. And I just changed some settings on the blower because I thought it was, you know, it's running too slow. And I'm like, oh, you know, no, the problem is not that. It's that it's it's blowing water off the evaporator coil, saturating the insulation on one side of that air handler. And now you've got a major problem because you're not going to be able to just fix that. You now have to go in, you know, pull it all apart, really, and replace that insulation on the on the bottom side. 
in order to solve that problem because it compounds. When you start blowing water into the ca- air handler cabinet or into the ductwork or leaking in those spaces, now that that insulation is essentially ruined until it has a chance to completely dry out, which often isn't practical. So it, it becomes quite a quite an issue, which is why when you're doing any sort of a horizontal air handler application, furnace application, whatever the case may be, you really need to follow the manufacturer's uh, specs. And that's the first thing I tell my techs when they show up on a unit horizontally that's having condensation issues is look and make sure that it was installed properly to begin with. And the same thing is true if you're replacing an evaporator coil. And then also then you know, placement of your horizontal pans, making sure you have plenty of overlap in all directions. These are things that just drive me crazy because it's so common that you get water blow off of an evaporator coil. Now, in some cases, you know, it's hard to figure out what's going on because there are some weird cases where you'll have water like falling off of an evaporator coil uh, or blowing off due to, um, you know, high static pressure, something like that. So that's something to look for. Check your static pressure. Make sure it's not high. Make sure there's nothing weird with how it was installed, where there's maybe little gaps or air streams of high velocity air that are sucking the water off. But sometimes you've got to just take a piece of plexiglass and, and put it over top of the uh, the, the blower compartment and actually observe where this is happening. Cause sometimes it can get really weird. Um, Reagan says when the insulation gets wet in the cabinet, we replace it with bubble wrap insulation. So we don't get into the vicious circle. Yeah. Good, good idea. Um, yeah. Well, that's actually something that we need to do. So tell me a little bit more. What, what our value um, bubble wrap do you use uh, for that Reagan? I'll let him answer that. And I'll, I'll tell you his answer here in a second. Oh, here he goes. He's going to join us. Yes. So what do you use? We just use the regular, whatever it comes. I think it's a, it's R four, because when you whenever you look at the cabinet insulation, unless they've got spray foam or, or not spray foam, but like the foam board, it's only like a half an inch of fiberglass anyway. Mm-hmm. So we so we just, so it's been successful. You put that in there, and then that it doesn't sweat. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, we run into situations where if especially if they have more than one system in, in the house, uh, even if you've got the system completely off for a day or two uh, and you're running the fan or something, just the difference in temperature from the other systems in the house running through the attic, it's, it's still enough to keep it sweating. So it's like, you know, that's, that's the only thing that we figured out to try to get ourselves out of there quicker. Yeah, and you may be even able to put two layers in, I guess, and then just like uh, you could probably tape or seal it um, to the edges. Um, and you know, yeah, if you were we concerned run, about it, kind of run a. We've kind of done that, and then we use the uh, spray insulation. Then we kind of run some metal straps across it, um, try not to compress it too much, but just something to secure it in place. Yeah, just to support it. Yeah, I like that idea. Thanks. All right. Thanks. I like this call and stuff. This is cool. Let's see here. Uh, Jess Louise says, so I have moisture coming up through my laundry tiles. Any idea what that's about? Um, and so, yeah, we would need more information about where, you know, it isn't on a slab. But it sounds to me like in that case, you've got you've got an actual uh, moisture source coming up through the floor somewhere, which is not, you know, not necessarily related to the HVAC equipment. Um so yeah, when when you're dealing with high velocity airstreams, um, that's that can cause moisture to blow off of coils, um, and that's something to think about. Also, even on even on um, typical vertical applications, 
you can have water that falls off an evaporator coil if there's something that got on that evaporator coil um, that's like an oily substance that reject, repels the water. I mean, anything that's hydrophobic is the word that can cause it to, to drop off. And so sometimes we see cases where uh, maybe the coil is even damaged. And so the fins become jagged and the water will just kind of reach that point and then drip off. And that's where the old piece of plexiglass um, can be very helpful. Another thing that can happen in some cases, um, you'll have evaporator coils on larger commercial equipment where they have two stages and they're stacked and you may have one stage <clears throat> and you may have one stage of the equipment that's not working. So say for example, if the first stage isn't working and the second stage is, and it may be designed for it to fall down the second stage, down the fins, and then go down the first stage equipment. And this is kind of an old school design. You don't see this very much anymore, but there are cases where if, if the moisture is running across a wet, cold coil and then it hits a dry, warm coil, it'll just suck right off at, at that point as well. And so there's a, there's a few things to watch there as far as moisture coming off. And, and it's, it's really just kind of watching the path that the, that the moisture has to follow down those fins. And if there's anything jagged or any kind of uh, hydrophobic coating, anything that's on there that they got in the way, that can cause that moisture to fly off. And, and those are bad problems because, again, you, don't, you really don't want water coming from the evaporator coil and getting into the cabinet or into the supply ducts or the return ducts because it can cause lots of nasty uh, Lots of nasty problems. Chris says that design was very typical on the older carrier slab coils. The first stage is on the bottom. And if the first stage would stop working, the second stage would leak water directly into the return duct. Right. That's exactly what I'm talking about it because the second stage was on top. And so that first stage would be dry and warm and that water would run down and then just drop into the drop into the ductwork, which is a big issue. So there we go. That is my uh, my quick episode that took 45 minutes uh, because it was a live, uh, live podcast, but thanks for participating in this. I think I'm going to start doing this once a week. I'll, I'll come up with a typical time and place uh, to do this, but I think it was, it worked really nice. The call-in feature actually worked great. So, um, thanks for participating in this quick little test. And uh, I think this will actually work as a real episode. So appreciate you all and, uh, have a excellent day. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and answer Andre anyway. Um, this will be at, this will be outside of the podcast, but my AC's been leaking water all summer. It's installed in my attic, and the moisture is coming out of the pipe attached to the drip pan. Should I be concerned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, anytime your air conditioner is dripping water, you should definitely be concerned um, because moisture causes uh, growth, and growth is not good. Not good for your uh, indoor air quality, and not you know it will cause things to break over time. So I would definitely get that, get that dealt with. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, I'm going to try to figure out how to exit this thing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, appreciate you. See you soon.